Today we're going to look at the sixth biography taken out of Hebrews 11. Uh, we're going to look at a woman named Sarah. She is recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11. Let me read that. I'll back up one verse. Hebrews 11 and 10. For he looked for a city, this is talking about Abraham, which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one of him as good as dead, as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. When we look at Sarah, <clears throat> she's being... Uh, praised for her faith and that she was able to conceive a child well past her childbearing years. Um, when we look at this, we find out that uh, Sarah's faith actually stumbled a little bit in the beginning of her life, which is true of many saints uh, and especially true of uh, Abraham. We're going to find out that in chapters oh, 11 through 18, we're going to find that God made both of them promises and at different times in their lives, they balked at the promises and intervened with human intervention trying to help God keep those promises. But as time went on in their lives, when we get to chapters 21 and 22, we see them relying less on self and more on a sovereign God. So she's a person whose faith uh, grew steadily over time. Uh, as we looked at this series of men, we find some men stumbled at the beginning of their lives, some saints stumble at the end, some in the middle, some in the beginning and the end. Uh, you see just about every pattern in Scripture. And uh, the reason why I take comfort in that is with uh, the cases, there's only one scheme of salvation that gets all of these people listed in Hebrews 11 to glory, and that is the scheme of salvation by grace alone. But with that being said, we're going to look at Sarah and uh, I've got six B's. It's a cutesy thing preachers do. Sarah was barren. She was beautiful. She was besetting. She was bitter. She was blessed. And she believed. But we're going to see that over time she's starting to get greater and greater faith. The first uh, B I have is that she was barren. And we see that all the way back in chapter 11 and verse 30 it says, But Sarah was barren. She had no child. And I'm thinking about this time, I'm guessing she's in her early 60s, maybe even 65 years old. And why that's important is it's at this particular time where um, Scripture is calling her barren. And if this is the time of women, I'm not exactly sure what that time is. I do know she was a very good-looking woman, even in older age. But at this particular time, it's calling her barren, and she has no child. And if this is, let's say, 65 years old, she's still got to wait another 25 years before she will actually conceive. So this is 25 years past being barren. Once again, we see it in chapter 15 and verses 2 and 3. And Abraham said, this is Abraham talking to God. This is a couple years after that. Lord God, what will thou give me, saying, I go childless? And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So Abraham is starting to panic here too in chapter 15, saying, Lord, you promised I would have seed. 
And this wife that I have, Sarah, is not giving it to me. So again, we see that she's a barren woman. When we go to chapter 12 and verse 11, I want to show you she's a very beautiful woman. Let me read there. Um, There was a famine in the land, and Abraham took off and went to Egypt. We've got no um, mention of Scripture that God told him to go down to Egypt, whether he did this on his own looking for um, um, prosperity somewhere else, if that was something he chose. It reminds me of the story of Naomi and Ruth, where she left her home country to go to a place where uh, prosperity was, and that was not the Lord's will. Uh, With Abraham, we can't tell if it is or is not, whether this was his own means. But when he got there, he got himself in a little bit of trouble. In chapter 12 and verse 11, it says, And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Now we're talking about a woman that's probably close to 70 years old right now. And she is a very fine-looking woman, even at 70. And I skipped down to verse 14, and it came to pass that when Abraham was come to Egypt, the Egypts beheld the woman that she was very fair. Abraham said she was fair, and the Egyptians said she was very fair. So again, we, we see this beautiful woman, and, and uh, Abraham concocts a scheme to tell a half-truth. Now, um, when we go forward now, we're going to find that Sarah is very besetting. I chose that word because this is a case where we see Sarah actually intervening, helping God keep his promise to Abraham. Now, one thing I I want to mention, though, is that when I see the promise made to Abraham, Abraham, through thy seed, many many will come, a multitude of people, a whole entire nation. The promise was never made to Abraham in written language that, Abraham, I'm going to bless you through Sarah. So when he tells this lie and he tells his wife to lie, Sarah, I don't know. I can only speculate what's going on. If she's thinking, well, the the seed was not promised through me. So if I've got to give myself and sacrifice myself to save my husband so God can keep his promise, I'm willing to do it. I don't know. That's pure speculation. And as she offers up her concubine right now, again, she's thinking, okay, the promise was to Abraham. It wasn't through me. That's not the direct revelation. Maybe if I give him the concubine, this is how God intends to do that. The problem was, is in each situation, she forgot to ask God. But look at her plan here. I'm in uh, Genesis 16, verse 1. She's, she's kind of forcing the issue. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bear him no children, and she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold now, <clears throat> the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I obtain children by, from her. Now, and Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian. And after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, his wife. So I'm, I'm guessing she's probably pretty close to 75 years old right now, and she's barren, she can't have the children, and in this particular state, she says, I'm going to help God keep his promise. The problem is, is Sarah took someone and gave him to his wife. Now, once again, there's a difference between passively interfering 
with God and, and also active obedience. So, so the problem here is nowhere in God's word did God ever um, promote polygamy. That just was not God's plan. So when he came up, when Sarah came up and said, here, I'm going to give you another wife, that is contrary to God's word. So whenever we create a situation that is contrary to God's will, that's usually a pretty dangerous situation. Every once in a while, God will come up and specifically say, this is an exception and you need to go forward and I, I, I ordain this. But this is one case where Sarah was acting on her own without getting a hold of God. So that's why she was besetting. She was forcing an issue. I want to show you that Sarah was very bitter. In the same chapter, Genesis 16, 5 and 6, well, she came up with a plan. Hagar conceived, and look what it says right here in verse 5. And Sarah said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. Notice it says, Not thy wrong be upon me. My wrong be upon thee. Abraham, I'm blaming you for this. I have given my maid to thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I despised her in my eyes. So now she was bitter against Abraham, I, my wrong be upon you, but I also getting bitter at this new, new, new baby. Verse 6, And Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, the maid is in thine hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So there's a bitterness that creeped up in Sarah in this particular case. I'm guessing here she's probably about 77 years old. Okay. But then finally she was able to conceive and she's blessed. Let's skip forward to Genesis 21. I'm going to read verse 1. Genesis 21 and verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And now she's 90 years old. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Let me skip down and read verse 6. And Sarah said, <coughs> God had made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. This is a particular case where she was able to conceive and she was very joyful. And then finally, we want to go back to Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to show you where it says she believed. She believed. Hebrews 11, and I'll get there in my Bible. I want to read verse 11 one more time. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive, I mean, conceive seed, and she delivered of a child when she was past the age, because she had judged him faithful who had promised. And then I want to go over to verse 35, and I want to challenge you. This is again a speculation. It's talking about um, some of the great people in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And notice what it says in 35. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured. I find that Sarah's faith is remarkable in a lot of ways. When Abraham was told to leave home, she went with him. Can you imagine this conversation going on between a husband and wife? Abraham says to Sarah, we're, God tells me we're going to move. And, and Sarah asks, well, where are we going? I don't know. How long will we be gone? I don't know. Will we come back home? I don't know. But she obeyed her husband. And then they got off and God speaks to Abraham again and says, now I want you to sojourn here and you can't go back home. And Abraham tells Sarah that we can't go back home. And she says, okay. 
And then Abraham tells Sarah, I want you to lie to Egypt, the pharaohs, Egypt's pharaoh, and say, you're my sister. And she tells the lie. And then a little bit later, it's time to get this baby, and she is blessed with this baby. And then I don't know if Abraham told Sarah or not, but she says, I'm taking off and I'm going to make a sacrifice. Now, this is speculation on my part. And Abraham says, Sarah, I've got to go make a sacrifice. Well, what are you going to sacrifice? Um, the Lord will provide it. Well, why are you bringing my son Isaac? Well, I need him too. But she agreed to that too. So I see some incredible faith in her in some aspects of her life. But when she got to this point where it was because she was yearning for a child, that's where she got a little bit of place where she did more self-reliance than others. So what I want to do is I want to cover some, some principles. The first is God blessed Sarah and Abraham, not for faith, but despite their faith. They went to Egypt, spoke half-truths to Pharaoh and Abimelech, and put Sarah at risk. <coughs> Waiting on God actively is not the same as impatiently interfering with God's will. Polygamy is not God's will. And to concoct a scheme contrary to his will is always dangerous. God frequently waits past the point of natural means simply to show his sovereignty. Laughing, postmenopausal, conception, nursing. This is exactly what they did. And then finally, God's promises are sure. He has never broken a single promise, although our disobedience can delay fulfillment. Remember when Egypt, I'm sorry, when Israel left Egypt and he says, I promise you the land of milk and honey. And they go out there and they committed the, the lack of faith and the murmuring. And he says, I had enough of you. I'm going to wait 40 years for this to happen. Well, he promised they would get in the land of milk and honey, but their disobedience cost them 40 years. Well, I don't know. This is my speculation, but maybe their lack of faith cost them a little bit. We read the story of Gideon a little bit earlier where Gideon said, I want to see some signs. And he was told by the prophet, he was told by the angel, he was told by a dreamer, he was shown three signs. And God said, okay, you want to see signs? I'm going to try you. And then he took that 32,000 down to 10,000 down to 300 and then he disarmed them. So sometimes God has a promise, but our disobedience can delay the fulfillment of that promise, not necessarily the fulfillment. Okay, I got some observations. The first thing I want to do is I want to go to Romans 4 and verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. This is Abraham. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Notice what that says. It says that... Um, in, in Genesis 17, it says, Abraham laughed. And he said, shall a child be born unto my wife that's 90 years old? And then in Genesis 18, verses 11 and 12, it says, Sarah laughed when told that she would bear and suckle a son. And if you remember, Sarah said, I didn't laugh. Well, scripture in chapter 18 says, she laughed, but it says she laughed within herself. So I think this is a case where this is another half-truth. Well, I didn't laugh out loud, but I laughed in my heart. 
So these are occasions when both Abraham and Sarah were told something and were looking at this Hebrews 11 faith and it says that because of faith they had this conception but they were doubting, they were helping God, telling the half-truths, they were uh, coming up with the schemes of, of the bondmaid and now they're over here laughing and doubting for its fulfillment. I don't know about you but that gives me hope because I'm like the man in Mark 9, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Well, that's what these guys are going through right now. They have a faith, but in these incredible circumstances, 25 years past menopause, and she's going to conceive a child? In our natural state, we don't. But as time goes on, we start understanding God's promises. And then when I look at their lives, I think, wow. Okay, so let's go to Romans 9, 9 and 10. I'm going to read this passage too, speaking of Sarah. Romans 9, 9 and 10. This is talking about the birth of the two twins. But notice what it says here. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, and this is Jacob and Esau. It's very interesting when I look scripture, very rarely are the women mentioned. But this time they are. And again, this is speculation on my part, but I'm wondering, do you think their name, because both Abraham and Isaac told these lies to save their skin when they were in trouble. And they said, she's my sister. They married pretty pretty women. And when they thought they were in danger, they told these lies and put their wives at risk. And I think that's why, it's my speculation, in verse 9 and 10 in this genealogy, the women are named, not the men. I think it's kind of a chastisement of sorts to do that, which puts us in a place where we got to think, wow, how do I represent my wife? Do I protect her or do I save my own skin? And then finally, let me go to 1 Peter 3, 5, and 6. 1 Peter 3, 5, and 6. <clears throat> this is also speaking of Sarah. For after this manner, in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, <clears throat> even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with amazement. So Sarah is being uh, exemplified as being a very honorable wife. And she did do some pretty remarkable things. She moved to a place away from home. She moved to a place that she didn't know what the place was or how long she'd be gone. And she obeyed her husband. And he did tell her to tell the half-truths. Back on my mind, I think somehow she's trying to help God keep that promise, (coughs) even though she was being put at risk. But as I look at her life, I see her offering a concubine. I see her willing to adopt, but I also see her submitting to God. Study for me is I want to look at people listed in Hebrews 11 that exhibited faith, that lived that exhibit enough faith to be recorded in this chapter is something is to be an example for me. And, and I'm so thankful God included real people in there with real mistakes and real fears 
And that's exactly what Sarah, sometimes Sarah was. Sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we get impatient. And God still loves us. And little glimpses of faith show up in us once in a while. But unfortunately, so does doubt. But the thing I want to stress here is I'm going back to Hebrews 11. And I want to show you, even though this is not about Sarah, it's about Abraham and it's about Moses. I want to show you the escalation in the demand that is made Abraham and also also the escalation in the demand of faith in Moses. In other words, the first time Abraham shows up is in verse 8. And it says, By faith Abraham, when was called to go out to a place, he went, he obeyed. And then verse 9, it says, By faith, this is Abraham, sojourned in the land of promise. And then it says, by faith, he was going to see in 11. And then we go all the way down to verse 17. It says, by faith, he offered up Isaac. All I can say is, what would happen if God asked, asked him to offer up his son the first trial of his faith? Do you understand how each trial gets more and more advanced? Well, when he was a baby Christian... I know that word doesn't apply to Abraham because he's not a Christian because Christ hasn't been born yet. But in early on in his spiritual walk, the command he was given was relatively light and that got a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger until it came to the point where he was asked to offer up his son. God didn't ask him to offer up the son day one of his walk in his religion. He did it towards the end. He allowed him to grow grow. Well, the same thing is true of Moses. We go to Moses' life, and I want you to see the escalation there also. It says in verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. You know that faith? That's not even Moses' faith. That's really mom and dad's faith. That's really going back, isn't it? And then we go down to verse 24. It says, by faith, when he was called to come to years, refused to be called Pharaoh's son. Well, that's an escalation. And then we come down in verse 27, it says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. There's even more of an escalation. 28, it says, By faith he kept the Passover. And then by 29, it says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Now, listen, when you go to the account over there in Exodus 12, 13, and 14, you're going to find out that that nation did not have faith. There was a million people crossing the Red Sea that day, and there was only one character in that whole crowd of million that had faith, and that was Moses. In the account, it says Israel had faith after they had passed through and they saw the miracle. But one guy had it before, and that was Moses. Notice the escalation. He's standing on the edge of the Red Sea. He's got an army behind him. He's got mountains to the north. He's got mountains to the side. He's got a sea in front of him. He's got a million people murmuring and belly aching behind him. And he stands and he gets his rod and he says, stand fast and see the salvation of the Lord. And he taps that on it and it opens up wide. Notice what Moses, the escalation. He wasn't asked to do that in the beginning. Well, that's the way God is with us. So he does give us trials but thankfully, those trials um, um, are not the hardest ones in early on in our lives. Well, when we look at Sarah, that's what happened with Sarah. 
But what's neat about Sarah was, is she was going through her life, she obeyed and followed her husband. She did, but then she got to a place. Now, <clears throat> again, all I can do is read scripture, not, not being a female. I don't understand what it fully says. It says there's four things that are never satisfied. The grave, the fire, uh, the dry ground, and the barren womb. God predicted that the woman that wanted a child that couldn't have a child would be very, very sorrowful. Well, that was Sarah in this case. I don't understand it. First, I'm a male. Second, I've been blessed with five kids. I I just can't even pretend to understand what she was going through. But here she is. And she's willing to take the risks and she's starting to, 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 to scheme and come up with um, human means to, to satisfy that. I, I get it. I get it. But then as time went on and I see her going forward, I see her laughing. I see her joyful in the Lord. I see her being with her husband and I, I see her going forward. So she actually grew in her faith. I'm sure glad her eternal salvation wasn't based on that one time where she offered her handmaid to her husband. And I can think of dozens of times in my life where I'm sure I'm so glad my salvation isn't time where I tried to help God out through human means. But then again, we look at Sarah's life and she's recorded there. She is a child of God. Her place is secure in heaven. Her sins have been removed. They've been cleansed. They've been bought. She's been bought. She's a precious possession of the Lord, and she's in glory. And we see glimpses of faith, not perfect. There was only one perfect, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is the sixth person in our study, our biological series, and we will have two more. Lord bless you.